Welcome to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Winsight Media's two food service brands, Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering Menu, Food, and Drink for both brands. My guest today is Rob Giuliani, co-founder and CEO of Playa Bowls. Along with his partner and surfing buddy, Abby Taylor, the two started Playa Bowls as a smoothie stand at the Jersey Shore. To operate the blender, they hooked up an extension cord to Rob's apartment above a pizza place. The duo offered smoothies and acai bowls as a healthier alternative to the fried foods, burgers, and ice cream available to beachgoers. It took a while for the concept to catch on, but once it did, they opened a brick-and-mortar location, broadened the menu, and generated franchise interest. The beach vibe still drives the design and decor of each restaurant, and Playa Bowls now has expanded into locations across the country, as well as non-traditional spots like health clubs and colleges. Listen as Rob shares the story of Playa Bowls' growth from a cart on the side of the road to a 126-unit fast casual with over $65 million in revenue. Hi, Rob. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Pat. I'm excited about this. Great. So let's talk a little bit about how you came up with the idea for Playa Bowls and how you started like as a sidewalk stand on the Jersey Shore. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I mean, I'll start by saying that a lot of my good close friends, they always called it a little uh, hot dog cart on the side of the road, even though the furthest thing we were serving was hot dogs. We were serving fruit. Um, but yeah, you know, Abby and I in 2014, after a lot of our travels across the world in, in Puerto Rico, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Hawaii, California, uh, we, we saw acai bowls everywhere and we enjoyed them. And when we got back, she was making them for me all the time, her family. And I just said to Abby, I mean, we were kind of at a pivotal time of our lives, especially Abby. I was selling medical equipment for a very reputable uh, sports medicine firm. And Abby was bartending and she was looking for something, you know, at the age of, I believe she was 24 at the time, 25. And she was looking for something more than just bartending. And I knew the kind of, you know, uh, you know, the strength that she had as a woman and, and her work mentality as a bartender. I said, why don't you just try to set up a little cart right in front of our apartment? We know the pizzeria guy very well. He'll probably team up with us. And, and that was the beginning. We set a little cart up. We went to Kmart. We bought a, a picnic table or a patio set. Uh, chalkboard and umbrella at Kohl's. We went to a refrigeration place and bought like one Bay Marie and we set it up on the side of the road. And, you know, we negotiated the terms. I negotiated the terms with the pizza guy, Jimmy, and we paid a little bit more than what was comfortable for me at that time. But I was like, you know what, let's just give this a whirl. Let's just try it and see what happens. Um, and the first month was pretty grim. I <laughs> mean, me and Abby, we were pretty defeated. I mean, I spent out of my own personal savings, which at that time was nothing. But I mean, it meant a lot to me, like two, three thousand dollars on acai, on, on different fruit. And, and we, we just weren't selling it. People were walking by us every single day buying pizza. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is so good. And I, I was getting so frustrated. But, you know, we, we worked well together, Abby and I at that time. And she kind of calmed me down. And, you know, I made different adjustments and modifications to that little cart on the side of the road. You know, whether it was signage turning blenders on to create some sort of, you know, momentum at that thing and, and going out and really doing guerrilla marketing on the beaches every day, talking to tons of college kids that were hung over from the night before partying. And we just hit the beaches hard. We just went out there and told them how good it was for hangovers, how refreshing it was, the nutrients. 
and, and, you know, long story short, Pat, you know, before we knew it, we had a line down the road almost every single day. And, you know, to, to, it was a good thing to have that line, but also I started, you know, drawing to us. We had talent people and, you know, different people going, what's going on at this little cart? We started becoming like a real viable business. And that's when we had to really start, you know, pulling it together and doing things a lot more orthodox uh, as compared to the unorthodox way. So we're using the pizza guy's electricity for your blender or was it like a, a battery operator? <laughs> it, well, it, it, we, we used my, my apartment was above the pizzeria. So we had extension cords running up the stairs in my apartment that I had two other roommates who one was an engineer. The other guy was in the liquor industry. And I just kept pushing the envelope with them. And maybe I wasn't such a great roommate, but they're like every day a new piece of refrigeration was in the apartment. Bananas were stacked up on the stairs. And they're like, Rob, they're like, dude, you got to stop doing this. Like we're paying rent too. And, and, and that's kind of how it went for a while. And we ended up moving out, but we're still friends. But, you know, we did use the pizza guy, Jimmy's, you know, he helped us out with the health department, with his three base sink in the back to make sure that it was still sanitary and we were doing things the right way. So Jimmy was a huge help for us from the very get go as well. But I mean, by all means, like I said, with the bananas, the extension cord, Jimmy, it was a mishmash operation. It was not easy to say the least. So what year was that that you, you set up? 2014. Okay, so it wasn't that long ago. Nope, nope. So it, in just like seven years, tell me how the concept has evolved and what the menu is like from that first stand that you set up. Yeah. Well, it's funny. We, we always, we always do throwback pictures on our Instagram because, you know, this is still like, a, you know, something special to Abby and I, it's like our little baby. And we look back at pictures and our menu in the very beginning, I think it was three acai bowls and two potables and two smoothies. Now, if you go into appliables, I mean, it's, you know, whenever I talk to customers at the register, I, I hate using the word overwhelming, but it's, there's a lot going on in our menu. I think we have over a hundred ingredients. I mean, we've got seven different acai bowls, seven different batayables, and the menu keeps growing every year, but we're doing it in a controlled way that we're controlling the ingredients in-house. We're not, we do our best to not add more ingredients into our, into our portfolio. Cause that's when things start getting a little more challenging with the distribution. We, we try getting creative with what we have and creating new and exciting things for our customers to get them excited. You know, whether it's our our seasonal bowls or, you know, whether it's like us, you know, just different specials that come up, we use ingredients that we have. I got it. So when you um, expand the menu and you stick to your wellness mission, are there any new ingredients that you're playing around with now that kind of fit in with that wellness mission? Yeah. And, you know, we always, Abby and I, you know, since day one of creating this menu and, and innovating it, we, we, we see how the trends are and what's going on with, you know, these different, you said, wellness things that are coming out. But we also have to be careful as well. And that kind of goes to the mission of pliables where, you know, for me personally, for pliables, I, I've never deemed pliables a health food store. You know, whether, you know, like, you know, you go to a lot of, you know, juice shops out there and it's very clean and they, they, they you know, they, they stick, you know, to different ingredients that are like very, very healthy for us. You know, our mission was to make it a healthier food option. You know, a gateway for, you know, we started at the Jersey Shore. We're at Seaside Heights Boardwalk. And whoever, if you're from New Jersey, the past 50 years going up there, you're getting corn dogs and funnel cakes and cheesesteaks. This was a way, you know, first and foremost for at the beach to bring something healthier to the beachgoers. Um, and then, you know, college students, high school students, like, you know, my nephews are 14 years old or 15 years old and 17 years old. They love Taco Bell more than anything in the entire world. But when they come to visit me, 
you know, they know that I'm the owner of Plyables, the founder, and they want, not only, not because of that, their uncle being that, but they actually truly enjoy it. And it's healthier than eating the Burger King, the Taco Bell. And I think a lot of parents across the country are seeing that. And also for, uh, you know, our customers as well, you know, whether they're 25 years old, 35 or 45, it's just a nice little option to not go completely on the deep end of health, you know, and, and go, you know, polypeptides, the, the bee pollen, you know, words like that kind of intimidate people. Like my parents, when I first told them that we have spirulina in our ingredients, they're like, spera who? Like I was like, oh, it's a fish food. It's good for your nails. And, and that, that kind of health talk scares people away. So that's why we added Nutella into the mix. We've got peanut butter. And, and you know, the nice part about it is, Pat, I, what, I, what, the, what I love most about my company is that the customer always has the option in our store to make it as healthy as they want it to be. Now, you know, if they've got diabetes and sugar's an issue for them, you know, I always give them recommendations. You can go for our green base that has kale in it. It's got coconut milk. Take off the granola, substitute it for almond flakes to get that crunch. And you can kind of dictate how many calories and sugar you're going to put into your body. And, and I want Flybles and my team to help people, you know, coach people along with that as well. Right. And you recently added juices and coffee. So how does that fit into the whole menu concept? Well, juices, so we have two different types of juices. We've always had our centrifugal juices. We have a, a Nutrafast machine where we have fresh ingredients that we juice. But, and this was to give our customers more options. I know a lot of people that are very nutrient-oriented that love juices. Mm -hmm. Centrifugal juices in the past, you know, there's this you know, um, theory, and it, it could be very true, that when you spin these juices at a high speed, the high temperature kind of kills the nutrients. So raw, you know, raw pressed juices, that's always, you know, it's been very popular the past five, 10 years, a lot of, you know, different health food stores. And I want to add that in the portfolio in our grab and go to give our customers a different option, whether they wanted the centrifugal, that fresh feeling, or you have the bottled uh, raw pressed juice, which is fresh. And it's just, it's, it's supposedly higher nutrient. Mm -hmm. And what is the coffee menu like? So we, we started slow with the coffee menu. I, I mean, I've had a lot of franchisees, partners who have wanted to incorporate coffee into the mix, whether it was hot coffee, cappuccinos. We did try it at one or two locations. And my, my philosophy was, you know, and it still is, not was, you know, stick at what you're good at. You know, coffee shops, whether it's Starbucks or a lot, it's a big operation to have this espresso machine, to have baristas. And I never wanted to go down that road. So in my mind with my team, when I met with my leadership team, I said, what are we really good at? We're really good at smoothies. What do people really love in the morning? Coffee. So why can't we mix those two and come up with a, co a coffee smoothie menu to, you know, to, to bring this to our customers so they can essentially knock out you know, uh, two birds with one stone. And that's how I looked at it. That sounds great. I would love to try one of those. I mean, <laughs> it fills it's, you it, up, but it's also, it gives you a, a caffeine jolt. That's yeah, and we, we, we added a cold brew coffee as well. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of New Orleans cold brew chicory coffee. I don't think many people are familiar with it yet, mm -hmm. but it's just a, it's a different, unique kind of cold brew that has a chocolatey flavor to it. And it's, it's creamy, it's delicious. So we added one cold brew coffee as well, because a lot of our stores are concentrated on the shore towns and it's hot out in the summer. So mm -hmm. it just makes sense to have a, a, a ice cold brew coffee. Right. Well, you were kind of a pioneer in the smoothie and bowl segment, but now there are a couple or a few more concepts that are doing that. So how does yours differentiate from the other ones? What is different about Playa Bowls? You know, the, the first thing that, that I always say, and Abby and I, 
you know, everything in business comes down to passion and just, you know, being true to what your brand is and, you know, and money makes the world spin. I know that and a lot of our, you know, I see a lot of not only our direct competitors, but people that open up fast, casual restaurants. I think they do it for the wrong reason. Most of the time, whether they have some extra money or they want to supplement their regular income. And, you know, I see them do that and there's no passion or drive behind what the actual mission is of that company. And for Abby and I, you know, what sets us apart? I mean, it's like a trifecta. You know, we hone in on, we want our employees to have fun while they come to work. We want the atmosphere to be fun. You know, we are both surfers and we wanted our stores to encompass that. And what we do as we move further inland, whether it's, you know, urban centers, malls, cities, we want to bring the beach to people that maybe can't come to the beach and experience a little slice of, you know, what my team calls pineapple land, where it's something exotic and unique that they're not used to. So, you know, setting ourselves apart from the competitor, you know, obviously the ambiance, the culture, but, you know, for me as the CEO and what I've worked on so hard for the past seven, eight years is quality. I mean, I do not sacrifice anything for quality. I didn't come from the restaurant business. I knew nothing about it. And I've had a million people, whether it was my mentors that are in the restaurant business, whether it was food vendors, distributors going, Hey Rob, you know, you can use a spoon, a different spoon that costs a fraction of the price from what you're using right now. Like I said earlier, money was never my driving factor. It was a passion to bring the best quality products. So if I were to switch that spoon, which I love my green spoon more than anything in the entire world, I, my mom and dad have said it, my family members, it makes our bowl taste better. It's kind of just this branding behind pliables. And they're right. I could probably go to Restaurant Depot and get a black spoon, plastic black spoon that costs a fraction of the price. But you know, that would kill me internally because, and, and, and that's a, Pat, it's a small, stupid example. That's something that I always talk about. But there's other huge examples. I mean, the acai, you know, it's kind of the wild, wild west of the fast, casual, you know, food movement right now where a lot of people, I think, across this country still don't know what it is. And if they do know what it is, they still don't know how to pronounce it right. So it shows you that there's so much more opportunity for the acai. And I saw that opportunity as far as making the highest quality acai that we can. That's our bread and butter. That's our baby. And I went out and I met partners who, I source the acai directly. I can see what was going into it. I can modify my ingredients whenever I want it, however I want it to make it taste better every single day. Um, and, and I'm a huge foodie myself, not just acai. I eat you know, good food all the time. And to me, the taste was so important mixed in with the nutrient level and how much acai was going into it. Um, so you know, moving forward 2021 and 2022, you know, I'm still developing new recipes for our acai, different flavor profiles, and just constantly working on, you know, Call it, call it, call a spade a spade being better than our competitors. You know, it, like you said, there's a lot coming up and I'm just trying every day to be better than them. I, you know, the second that you start resting and, and relaxing is the second that, and I tell my team all the time, you know, these competitors, we're making smoothies and bowls. I mean, I, I know our ambiance is great, our culture, but you know, customers really care about what they're getting too for 10, 12, $14. So we have to make sure they're getting the best possible product. Right. And you mentioned the spoon. I mean, Tell me what role sustainability plays in your in your mission. Yeah, and it's sustainability, I think you hear it now in 2021, you're obviously, it's about the environment. It's about sustainability of the oceans. And that's something that we really believe in at Pliables. We, we do as much as we can, but we are a smoothie shop at the end of the day. We are a business, but we try to do as much as we possibly can. Like I said, the green spoons being, you know, plant-based. And we learned a lot recently that unless you compost these spoons, it's not as effective as, you know, just, you know, saying that you use plant-based. So now we're working on composting programs. I've met with other companies out there like Fade that are using biodegrade, marine biodegradable 
um, plant-based where we've, we've seen videos and studies where, you know, these, these plastics, I'll call them quote unquote, they're not plastics. They are, you know, our, our soft or our, our, you know, our spoons, our straws, our cups, you know, they degrade very quick in the ocean. And I know a lot of towns are, you know, cracking down on plastic things. So we had to kind of, you know, mold to what was going on and, and you know, furthermore with sustainability, you know, like I said, I Googled it as I was getting prepared for this. And it's, it's also social, it's economics as well. And how do we sustain? I mean, the, the, the definition is right in the word. You know, how do we sustain? But while being conscious of other people out there, our customers. Um, so I think it's, a, it's a, a strong balance between the economic part, giving back to your community all the time, and also being, you know, um, environmentally conscious as well. So I think Pliables has, whether we did it on purpose or not, We've done have had a great balance of all three of those. And that's what's really kept us going through the years. I mean, you know, Abby and I, we just believed in something. We're, we're good people. We believe in giving back to the community. We believe in the environment. Um, we believe in making money, but doing it in a very, uh, you know, uh, conscious way. So putting those three together is what's really made us successful. Well, I think you hit the definition right on the head there. So thank you, Google. <laughs> So why is the franchise model so well-suited to growing your business? You know, it's well-suited. It's all about, if you look at any business, it's about the time and place of where they're at at a particular time, whether the franchising is good or taking an investment on by outside private firms or going public. It's all about the time of where you're at. And Abby and I, 2014, we had another partner who's no longer with us and he got his MBA you know, and he pushed Abby and I to franchise. And in mine and Abby's mind, we were like, you know what? We were like cool servers at the time. We're like, we don't want to be like Burger King or McDonald's. But we didn't understand what franchising really meant and what it did for you economically to bring your company to the next level. And I still give gratitude to our other partner that's no longer with us for making us understand it a little more. And the reason why we franchised at that time was it's a capital thing, number one. You know, we, you know, we at Pliables, we have never taken a loan. We've never taken investment, um, which I'll get to later. We now have. But, you know, in the past, we never had to borrow money. And mm-hmm. our way of doing it was bringing people in that we knew really well. And we really vetted them, whether it was our vendors, people that we, you know, very close to us. And they opened up Pliables with us as a franchisee. And we didn't call them franchisees in the beginning. We called them partners, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, if anybody's listening to this, you, you be careful with what you, you call people, because sometimes... You know, if you keep, if you call people partners, you know, it, it gets a little convoluted for what they actually are. And franchisee is not a bad, it doesn't have a bad connotation. Me and Abby thought it did, but they bring a lot to the table. You know, they're, they're partners that are coming on in an entrepreneurial spirit. They're bringing capital to the table. They're bringing knowledge about where they're putting that store. They live in that neighborhood. They know the people, they know the community, um, which is very valuable when you open up as quick as we do. You know, I can only do as much due diligence in my neck of the woods, whether it's Monmouth County or Ocean County. But we started going to Florida, Louisiana. Like, I've never lived there. I don't know the lay of the land. And yeah. the people that we brought on were such valuable tools on, on building this momentum with us. And, you know, luckily for us, knock on wood, I mean, our, our financial model is very attractive, you know, with the return on investment, the timing, you know, the, the initial investment. So you kind of put that perfect storm together. And this is how Pliables has gotten to 125 stores. It's just people that are just as passionate as we are. They're making money. They love what they do. They love being part of Pliables. And now that was a long-winded answer as far as why franchising versus going corporate. You know, that, that's, those are all the reasons. But, you know, 
going forward, I do have a vision of building more corporate stores because that's, that's important too for your team as well. Like I've got corporate members and I think there's pride in that too, that and it's all, you know, with my military background, I love the notion of leading by example. And for us to have corporate stores and to continue to put more of our money into it, that shows franchisees that we're invested as well, that we really believe in it too, that we're not just taking their franchise fee, their royalties, that we're doing it with them and for them as well. So I think that's been a really powerful tool for, for us going, you know, it's going to be a more powerful tool moving forward for us. Well, tell me a little bit about some of the non-traditional locations that franchisees have opened. Like there's one in an apartment building where my son lives on the west side of Manhattan. And I was really surprised to see it right outside the gym. Are there others like that? You're talking about the non-traditional ones that my attorneys and financial advisors yell at me for every single day for having? <laughs> oh, those ones. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, th- those locations, they're so important to me and Abby. When we were, again, going back to when we were, you know, beginning, you know, entrepreneurs on this, you know, there were opportunities that popped up and we had to fight to get locations. It wasn't just as easy as now where landlords are. They want us in their, in their strip malls. They want us in their malls. 2014, nobody knew who we were and they didn't care about us. And we had to really go out and find, you know, those next locations, whether it was Manasquan, New Jersey. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times we were told no, that they didn't want a little acai car in, in front of their pizzeria. They didn't want that because they didn't understand what it was. So, you know, it, it was just unique opportunities popped up where I went and I talked to a lot of people where they, it, I saw them running a juice shop that wasn't doing very well. And I saw them and they were, and they were grinding. So I went and I said, why don't we partner up? Pliables has a huge following. We'll turn it into a Pliables. You can be a partner with us. And that's a lot of how those, you know, funky, you know, uh, locations that you would say really came up that, you know, the Mercedes club, it was part of a package deal where, you know, the woman who ran the business was moving to California and she wanted to give up on it. I came in and said, I'll take it. And I gave her a, a buyout for her three locations. And, you know, I started running them. One of those being the Mercedes club, McDougal street. There was another one over on wall street. And I said, you know, I'm not a city guy. I'm a beach guy. So for the first year I was struggling in New York city. I was like, Oh my God, like New York city is a bear, but you know, long and behold, one of my franchisees now Raj, who's a big New York city guy came in, took the locations over for me and he's absolutely crushing it. So it was just all about these different, opportunities that just pop their head up out of nowhere. And I'm not the type of person that says no to many things. And that's why we're in a lot of the situations that we're in right now. I mean, I can keep you on the phone for the next four hours about these unique, funky opportunities. Asbury Park Cookman being another one where we had a competitor coming into town and I teamed up with a local juice shop that I said, you know what? I go, why not have two go against one? Let's team up with each other. And we did so, and it worked out really well for us, you know, and then we've got two locations in Asbury Park. Our competitor is no longer there. Um, and, and it was a, as a powerful tool to, to build relations with people and just treat them good. So are you at any colleges or stadiums or those kinds of places? Yeah, we, you know, our, our, our attention like three years ago with the, you know, my, my VP of franchising, the easy low, you know, we called it like the, the go-to for college and universities because that was a lot of our customers mm-hmm. and we're still doing that, but we haven't so hyper-focused on just colleges and universities. I mean, we've got, I mean, I can rattle off a few, you got Penn State, um, geez, I mean, Rutgers University, um, God, I can't even think because there's so many of them, Lehigh University, but you know, the list goes on and the locations at universities do very well. You know, these, these, these kids love coming to our stores. They get a little taste of their summertime while they go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but we have, I mean, we're still building out a lot more universities, but we're also focusing on suburbs. We're focusing on, like I said, urban malls. We're going to airports right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of good things coming up where pliables is so versatile. You can put it in a lot of different things. And it was funny because, um, it was a Belmar 2015. I remember it was our second year when we had our storefront location. It was the middle of the winter. It was like, I think it was seven degrees outside. And I went in on like a, in the middle of January to go get a coffee at one of my, you know, at a coffee bar that was in the back of our pliables. And I looked next to me and there's like 10, 17 year old kids eating acai bowls at seven degrees out. I go, what is going on right now? I was like, I'm not even eating an acai bowl right now. But the, the point is, is that it is 365 days a year that people are eating this product. And it's not just custom tailored to one specific situation. We're seeing success. Um, you know, Boston, Massachusetts, same thing. A friend of mine from college came to me, said Boston. I was like, God, it's cold up there all the time. Why would we do that? We did it. And Boston is absolutely crushing for us. We've got four locations there opening up our fifth. It's kind of top 10 in our portfolio of stores performing well right now. Cool. And you talked a little bit about the um, ambiance and the, 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 the design, excuse me, but how do you replicate that beach vibe in all the locations? I mean, what kind of decor do you have, for example? I can't, I can't tell you that secret, Pat. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's been a challenge. I was talking to my buddy who, who runs a very successful um, eatery around the Monmouth County area. And, and I was talking to him yesterday as you expand, things just get harder and harder and harder. So yeah, mm. the ambiance that we built and the reclaimed materials that we use, I mean, reclaimed material, there's only so much of it. I mean, you right. got to start adapting a little bit. And the last thing that I want to do, and again, my architect the other day was saying, hey, Rob, I can get this material that looks like reclaimed wood. It's not reclaimed wood. And I said, Rick, absolutely not. I go, we will go out and find a different reclaimed material, even if we have to paint it, but it's still reclaimed. I don't care. So, you know, it's, you know, and then our artist, you know, Ramona, you know, she is on the road 24 hours a day, you know, traveling and painting all of our stores. Is that re reproducible as we go from 125 to 500? Not so much. So we're, we're really working with, you know, our artists with the, the reclaimed wood material, trying to come up with different solutions on how we can do it, but still keep it real inside. Mm -hmm. Cool. And how about the um, virtual brand of Ghost Kitchen Root? Have you thought about doing that or putting like pliables in a Ghost Kitchen food hall or another virtual kind of operation? You know, we've had opportunities to do so. I've, I've passed on them. I am not that familiar with them yet. I haven't done a lot of research only because, like I said earlier, when you're good at something and I have to be aware of it. I mean, we're going into the fall again and we know that the pandemic is sparking up again and there's different, you know, scenarios of what you have to be conscious of. You know, it's definitely something in, in the back of my mind. It's in our bag of goods that we can, you know, bring out later down the road. But right now, you know, I, I like building out these storefronts pandemic or not. We, we negotiate our leases really well. We put them in, you know, in solid locations where, you know, they essentially act as our ghost kitchens for third party delivery. You know, we've got, you know, building more locations, but, you know, to answer your question, if a ghost kitchen opportunity came up in a city or state that we're not in right now and it and we could get something going there, like I said earlier, I, I wouldn't say no. I would try to figure a way to do it. But mm -hmm. it's not on my top of the list of things to do right now. Well, you brought up the pandemic. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, boy. Uh, so, I mean, your concept was really well adapted to um, delivery and takeout. So you must have fared pretty well during the pandemic. 
So um, how much of your business is currently to go? Is this something that it's like, what percentage of it would be, you know? It, 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 it fluctuates. I mean, you, you look at, you know, in the height of the pandemic, obviously the numbers are volatile where we see a big spike in third party delivery, you know, that's a no brainer. Um, but as, you know, time has gone on, we're seeing the trend going back towards more customers coming into our store, experience the ambiance and the vibe. Um, but to answer your question about the percentage, you know, I, I would say right now, and again, we've got 125 locations, all very different, but the average throughout, I'd say 20% of it is third-party delivery, 80% being in-store sales. Um, but there's stores like New York City, you know, during the pandemic, even you know, during the summer months, we were probably more 60 third-party delivery, 40% in-store. But I'm watching now as, you know, and again, changing again back in September, that balance started going a little bit higher of in-store sales as, you know, stores started opening up in New York City. But I'm going to see that number go right back to third-party delivery, I think, in the next couple of months. Right. So how much seating do you have in like a traditional, you know, location, I guess, or in, you know, the average location? Yeah, our, our average location is about 13, 1,400 square feet. And I would say between 30 to 40 seats total is kind of like our go-to bread and butter, but we've got so many different unique situations that some stores have five seats, some stores have no seating, it's just outdoor seating. Um, but you know, the average, like you said, it's, it's about 30 to 40 seats. Mm -hmm. Let's look into the future a little bit um, as we move into 2022. What are Playable's plans as far as the menu goes and expansion? Uh, you mentioned well, that you're looking at both urban and suburban locations. So are you thinking about drive-throughs? Well, I'll, I'll start off by saying, I mean, I kind of I kind of uh, teased about it a little earlier. Um, we, we did just take an investment by two private equity investment firms. Uh, we closed a deal that the press release is coming out pretty soon, but we closed a deal about two weeks ago. And I couldn't be more excited to bring these partners on because I do have a lot of visions for 2022 and, and you know, the boring behind the you know, scene business stuff as far as vertical integration, building our own distribution hubs out. You know, these are things that my partners are going to bring tremendous value to. to. Um, but as far as storefronts, locations, I mean, our heavy emphasis is going to be on the East Coast from Florida all the way up to Maine. Mm -hmm. But we are building, we are moving west. We've got Arizona. Um, we've got three stores being built there. One currently open in Scottsdale. Um, we've got San Antonio, Texas, with two more being built there as well. Um, Colorado, our, our franchises there are awesome. They're in Littleton, Colorado. They're building out two more stores as well. So we are going west, but the, hem the heavy focus is on the East Coast. And drive-throughs, I, I would love to do more drive-throughs. Currently, we have one drive-through in Brick, New Jersey. We opened it up about six months ago. The location has been there for four years, I believe, but we just opened a drive-through there. Mm -hmm. And I now see the value of a drive-through, especially having my firstborn child you know, five months ago and my wife. I see how important it is now. Before, I was like, God, people are so lazy. They're sitting in that drive-through line. How can they do that? They can walk in. But now that I have a kid and a wife, I'm like, or if I have to take my kids anywhere, I'm like, now I get it. Okay. <laughs> but you know, it's it's it is very challenging to find drive-through locations. I mean, when when you drive down the road and you see Chick-fil-A with drive-throughs, I mean, Chick-fil-A, the numbers are just astonishing of what those locations do. And those drive-through locations they have are 3,000, 4,000 square feet. It, they're big location with drive-throughs. It, it's something that as the opportunities come up for drive-throughs, I'm never going to say no. Hunting them down right now, it's just very difficult because 
I get my hopes up. I see locations that are vacant that could be a drive. I'm like, yes, I want that location. Then the landlord crushes my dreams. And they're like, well, it's $25,000 a month. And I'm like, oh, like I, we just can't sustain with that. We just can't do it. Right. So let's talk about what you're looking forward to most personally and professionally in the year ahead. Are you going to do as much surfing, do you think, now that you have a child? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, personally, I mean, there's no clear boundary between my personal and professional. Everybody in my company knows that. I mean, my wife knows it. She's accepted it really well. She loves it too. I mean, we travel in an RV across the country every September. I've got a Mercedes Revel and I go mountain bike and go surfing, but I'm always on the phone and I stop into stores and I have meetings with potential franchisees. I'm meeting contractors that build that store. So there's just that awesome mix for me that I can do both on the road. Um, we're, you know, we're, we're thinking about, you know, pretty close to going down to Florida for, you know, the winter months, because we're building so many stores in Florida, we're going to be up to about 15 stores down there. And I want to be present down there for all these franchisees. And I've got Louisiana, South Carolina, Georgia. Um, so that's exciting for me to bring my, my baby girl down there and my wife and, you know, kind of, you know, I'm going to, we're looking at Jupiter, Florida, which is a huge surf town. So I can continue mm -hmm. to surf through the entire winter. Cool. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, for, from the business side, I'm excited about, bringing this all in tighter, kind of strapping it together with the investors. I mean, we have been so fortunate and blessed, me and Abby and with my team that 125 stores, I give myself a pat in the back every night. I give my team a pat in the back going, holy cow, look what we have done. Over $65 million of revenue coming from a car on the side of the road. And to bring these investors on that have the experience that have brought companies even further to go from 125 to 300 to 500, you know, this year is going to be a huge mark for us to get to that point, you know, to open up our 50 stores this year um, and all the things that you brought up, you know, the, the sustainability, the artwork in the stores, the ambiance, the vibe. I mean, I have a lot of work to do this year, so I'm excited to work because if I didn't work, I would drive myself nuts. Thanks so much, Rob. Loved how you turned a blender on a makeshift stand into a thriving fast casual. Please join us for another episode of Menu Feed as we explore more concepts and food and drink trends. Like past episodes, this one is available to download on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Mm -hmm.